Today on Ag News Daily. But I think this is a recognition by Senator Fisher that this issue still exists uh, and that there's hope that we might be able to address it in the lame duck. If not, you know, longer term, it, it takes a while uh, for Congress to, to potentially act on some issues. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I tell you what, Secretary Purdue is traveling today to the state of Iowa. He's currently here in the state of Iowa, I should say. And he's anticipated to make some big announcements related to ethanol and biodiesel. And I'm excited to say I'm going to go see him. This is going to be my first press event since COVID has started. So it's going to be a little weird, but uh, excited to see if he's got anything decent to say. If so, I'm going to hopefully share some of those comments on the podcast tomorrow. But yeah, I'm excited to get back out there in the reporting field, so to speak. I'm excited for you. I know we've talked so much about virtual events, and I actually got to be a part of my first press event, though it was virtual earlier, you know, a couple couple weeks ago. But I, I'm just a little bit jealous, I have to say. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be weird. I'm sure I'm going to have to wear a mask and all of that stuff. But like I said, he's expecting to make some big announcements related to biofuels. And he has actually already made a few announcements as it happens to be. He was in Mason City, Iowa earlier today. This event was closed to the press. So I'm just reading about this uh, through their USDA press release communications. But he announced today that the U.S. Department of Agriculture has invested $22 million out of the $100 million in grants available to increase American ethanol and biodiesel sales. He said these funds will be made available through the Higher Blends Infrastructure Incentive Program and will be available in 14 different states. And really the goal here is to push investments to better incentivize and build our biofuels industry. He said President Trump has expanded ethanol use by unleashing that year-round E15, and they want to continue to do that and drive demand for corn and, of course, ethanol and support the American farmer. So USDA funding is going to be available, like I said, in 14 different states. And in Iowa, the United Farmers Cooperative will use about $93,000 in grant money to replace six dispensers and two storage tanks at a fueling station. And so other states have various infrastructure changes that they're going to be making, but we'll see what he has to announce later this afternoon. Absolutely, Delaney, and hopefully you can report on some of what he has to say tomorrow. But for today, I wanted to bring up this little bit of news concerning President Trump And he said that he will not be participating in the presidential debates now that it has gone virtual. This was just a small headline that I quickly saw earlier today, so I don't have really many details about it. But it definitely triggered the question in my head on how presidential debates are going to work if this is what is going to happen, if they are going to be virtual for the rest of the campaign season. I would suspect. I guess I don't know what to say because nothing is predictable during COVID-19, but. Yeah, I know. And like I said, I really don't have many details on what President Trump said or anything, but I definitely kind of just wanted to throw it out there. And it's going to be something, of course, that I keep my eye out on. However, I did not watch last night's vice president debate. Did you, Delaney? Mm -hmm. No, that's not high on my list. (laughs) I didn't think so, but, you know, I thought I'd ask anyways. Yeah, I'm not. 
am not much into that stuff. I like politics from a stance of like, how are things passed and enacted and what does that do? But I don't like it from a stance of like, let's talk about politicians and let's watch them campaign. And, you know, being here in the state of Iowa, we get bombarded with so many political ads for about two years straight. I just don't want to, I don't want to watch additional footage or shows or anything about the elections. I definitely see where you're coming from, Delaney. I did not think that I was a big government person until I got on the podcast and started talking about policy. And it's definitely something that interests me. But one other thing that I am interested in and talking about today is Argentina being the first country to approve genetically modified wheat. The country's ag ministry has approved a drought-resistant HB4 GMO wheat event developed by biotechnology firm BioSeries, I believe is how you pronounce that company. But they say commercial commercialization of the GMO wheat is contingent upon import approval in Brazil, which purchases just over 85% of its wheat from Argentina. And the company also says that the HB4 seed varieties in research trials have increased wheat yields by 20% on average during growing seasons impacted by droughts. And past efforts to develop and market GMO wheat here in the U.S. have run into resistance over consumer concerns with GMOs, but I would like to see what producers actually have to say and other agriculturalists about using GMO wheat or other GMO seed products. I mean, I think that's becoming the norm. You know, we have to feed more people. We've got less available resources. So I think it's a step in the right direction. I think other countries are going to have to follow suit at some point soon, but uh, definitely a slow transition. But I tell you what, Ash, and I also have some South American news. We are seeing the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service is raising their forecast for Brazilian soybean planting and harvesting and exporting for the 2020-2021 marketing year. They are saying that even though Brazilian farmers are having a drier than usual starting season, starting to plant season, they're still raising their production forecasts for the country 131 million metric tons higher, or excuse me, to a total of 131 million metric tons, which is up about 5 million metric tons from last year. They said they are seeing unprecedented prices pushing farmers to plant more soybeans this year. So when you put that in acreage numbers, they're expecting, or excuse me, when you put that in export numbers, they're expecting Brazil to top, you know, somewhere around 83 million tons of soybeans uh, to send out this year. Now that news is coupled with the fact that they're having a slow season. China is still coming to the table and we are seeing them purchase quite a few soybeans from the United States as well as a few other countries. This week's soybean export sales saw sales of about 152,000 tons to Mexico, 374,000 tons to China and about 132,000 tons to unknown destinations. And so we are continuing to see China step in. They've made purchases almost every single day uh, in the month of October. So they are stepping in. We are seeing that be somewhat supportive for the soybean markets until, of course, today we had to have a little bit of a, a reversal or a down day in comparison because tomorrow we've got a big report coming out, Ashton. And what report might that be? 
Well, Ashlyn, I'm glad you asked. We are expecting the uh, WASD report, of course, to come out tomorrow. And really, when you look at what analysts are expecting, and of course, USDA may or may not do that because it seems like more often than not, they don't do what the trade is expecting. But the trade is expecting to see um, new balance sheets presented by the USDA, especially reflecting those quarterly stock, quarterly grain stock changes that they made earlier this month. So that comes out at 11 a.m. Central Time tomorrow. We'll discuss it a little bit more on the podcast tomorrow, but we're also expecting, or analysts are expecting, I should say, U.S. ending corn stocks to drop. We're expecting to see export numbers rise, especially on the soybean side of things, expecting to see, again, lower ending stocks for soybeans. So it's expected to be, and that's the key here, expected to be a pretty friendly, if not neutral report for all three major grain commodities. Well, Delaney, it sounds like you're going to have a lot to talk about tomorrow. But for today, I also have some USDA news but it is concerning cattle and dairy groups. The USDA has received mixed feedback from cattle and dairy groups on their proposed mandatory radio frequency identification or RFID tags for cattle and bison crossing state lines. The proposed rule would create a national identification program and interstate traceability system to protect against animal disease outbreaks using those RFID tags. The rule would also require all female dairy cows and males born after March 11, 2013 to have RFID tags when crossing state lines. The National Milk Producers Federation says a national animal identification system can provide immediate access to relevant information in an animal disease or food safety crisis while protecting farmers' privacy. And I definitely thought this was something very interesting because I've done a little bit of research on RFID tags, and I believe that a few producers in some some states across the country actually do use RFID tags at the moment. However, I'm not completely sure on that, so don't hold me to it. But cattle and bison transported across state lines would be required to also have the tags if they are traveling for shows, exhibitions, rodeos, or are sexually intact at least at 18 months of age. So I definitely thought this was really interesting. And I think RFID tags are just something of the future to me. But I definitely wanted to bring that to the attention of our listeners. Absolutely, Ashton. Good find there. But I tell you what, I'm all out of news. How about you? I'm also out of news. How about we get into the markets this afternoon? Let's do that. And like I said, today, we took a step back ahead of tomorrow's report. We're seeing the funds and other folks kind of square up their positions ahead of that report in case the USDA does throw a surprise at us. But they weren't major losses today. The December corn contract lost just a penny and three quarters to close at 387. Even the March down two and a half to close at 394 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the November contract shedding just a penny today to close at 10.50, while the January down three and a half to close at 10.48 even. In the wheat pits, they adjusted majorly ahead of tomorrow report as the December contract shedding 12 and a quarter cent to close at 395 and a quarter. The March down 11 and a quarter cent as well to close at 598 and three quarters. In the livestock pits right across the screen in the cattle complex is the October contract shedding 47 and a half cents to close at 109.70. The December down 47 and a half to close at 112.62 and a half. 
In the cattle pits, feeder cattle pits, I should say, the October contract losing 45 cents, trickles at 138.05. The November down a dollar 42 and a half, trickles at 136.45. Lean hogs having a nice little rally today as the October contract added 47 and a half cents, trickles at 73.35. The December up 227, trickles at 66.85. And rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, the October contract up 28 on the day to close at 2066. November losing six to close at 1930. Without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to our conversation with Andrew Walmsley of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, today we are chatting with AFBF Congressional Relations, Andrew Walmsley. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And I know we want to talk here specifically about a few different congressional issues. But to start, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about your role as Congressional Relations? What are you doing day to day? Yeah, so it really depends uh, on the day. That's one of the great, great aspects of the job. So as Director of Congressional Relations, I handle a handful of issue areas, uh, energy, transportation, clean air act, climate change, biotechnology, and our leader farm policy team. So uh, it depends on what issues, what, what issues is, uh, happens to be hot, you know, depends on what I'm, what I'm working on, but my focus is mostly on Congress. So I, I lobby uh, both the house and Senate. And because we break up our uh, areas by issue, I also deal with the administration uh, and regulatory issues. So pretty much anything in those issue areas I'd be working on. And so that's, you know, traditionally before COVID-19, it'd be a lot of time uh, walking the halls of Congress and meeting uh, with legislators or staff, um, writing comments, um, but doing a lot of briefing for fly-ins too. We, you know, Farm Bureau is very much a grassroots organization and uh, the strength of our members, or really the strength of the organization is our membership and our state Farm Bureau. So a lot of my time is uh, briefing them on the issues to make them better advocates and for all of us to work together to uh, be the voice of agriculture and, and look out for farmers and ranchers in rural communities. You guys have given your stamp of approval, I'll call it, for a new act that really hasn't garnered a lot of attention in the media so far. That's the Halls Act. Can you give us just a broad level overview of what this act is intended to do for rural America? Yeah, so one of the issues I work on is transportation. And when you look at you know, infrastructure and regulations around transportation, that's hugely important to, to agriculture. If we can't uh, get our products, our commodities, our animals from the our fields or our barns uh, to the market down the road or to a consumer around the world, it doesn't do us a lot of good. So this is an important issue. And what the Halls Act uh, tries to, to accomplish is to interject some common sense into some of the Department of Transportation regulations uh, around commercial vehicles. Uh, the Haulers of Agriculture and Livestock Safety is what the Halls Act stands for. Uh, it's been introduced by Senator Fisher of Nebraska uh, in the Senate. Uh, she's the chairman uh, of the subcommittee of on, on transportation and safety, which is part of the Senate Commerce Committee. That's the committee that writes transportation and infrastructure bills. This is their purview uh, of issues when it comes to the United States Senate. And so the Halls Act does three things. Uh, it eliminates seasonality when it deals with hours of service uh, for truck drivers hauling ag commodities and livestock. Uh, all commercial truck drivers are subject to hours of service requirements uh, for safety, uh, make sure drivers aren't, aren't driving too long. Um, but there's also a recognition by Congress and by DOT that there needs to be some flexibility 
uh, for farmers and ranchers due to the seasonality of our work. And so most states have already adopted year-round uh, planting and harvest season. Uh, when you look at livestock, we've moved those animals year-round. Um, and depending on the climate, you know, you have year-round growing and harvesting season. So first thing the bill does is eliminates that seasonality and makes it uniform across the country. The second aspect it does is provide some additional flexibility for haulers uh, on the back end of their hauls or once you get to close to your destination. So currently uh, in law, you have a 150 air mile exemption on the front end of your hauls. This is uh, allows for a driver uh, to be safe on rural roads, to take some additional time to, if you're loading animals, to be careful with those animals. Uh, and it recognizes some of the conditions in rural America uh, that you need some flexibility when you're, when you're not moving on the interstate system. What the bill does is add uh, that same flexibility to the destination of hauls at 150 air miles, because a lot of the same conditions exist. Um, particularly, it's important for our perishable commodities and our livestock. Because of the hours of service rules, if you run out of time, you have to shut down and basically stop where you are if you're, if you're driving a, a truck, an 18-wheeler. Um, that's fine if you've got a box of, of T-shirts on the back. Uh, but when you're dealing with, say, live animals, uh, depending on weather conditions, that could be a catastrophic scenario. Uh, you could lose those animals uh, or cause great harm to them. For So for animal welfare, we need that additional flexibility to get them to their destination and get them unloaded. And finally, the last part of the bill uh, just updates the definition of agricultural commodity. There's been some confusion, um, you know, between how USDA defines an ag commodity and how the Department of Transportation. And so it just modernizes that definition as well to look at uh, what American agriculture looks like in 2020. So, Andrew, I know that American Farm Bureau is in support of this legislation, but are you hearing anything else about what other folks in the industry, whether that's organizations or producers, what have you, are you hearing any word from them on how they feel about the legislation? Well, just today, uh, we sent a letter to the Hill with 101 other ag and livestock organizations in support of this bill. So uh, there is broad support. This is something that we've worked with with Senator Fisher, uh, but also the, the ag industry at large, uh, trying to address concerns from, you know, some of our specialty crop growers uh, with the ag commodity definition, um, to obviously our perishable growers and our, and our livestock callers on the destination 150. So there's broad support in the ag industry for this bill. And Andrew, I'm just curious, you know, we cover on the podcast quite a bit of different ag news, and this is one that has slipped through our cracks and, you know, doing even a little bit of digging. There's not a ton of coverage about the Halls Act currently. Is it because it's more widely accepted already or, or what's your thoughts behind that? Well, it was just introduced um, and, and I think it's been a week or so uh, since it was formally or maybe two weeks since it was formally introduced and then, uh, you know, actual press coverage of it started to pick up. So it is fairly new. Um, but this has been a longstanding issue in, in agriculture, going back to some of the hours of service rules, and then uh, clearly the electronic logging uh, uh, mandate, the electronic logging device mandate from a few years ago. Um, this is basically where we've forced the industry from paper logs uh, to electronic logging devices that, that track the truck's movement. Uh, originally, these devices did not take into account some of the exemptions and flexibilities that were out there for agriculture. 
Uh, and it also makes it difficult and exposes some of the challenges within hours of service when it comes to perishable and, and live animals. Uh, luckily, Congress has recognized uh, that this mandate has, has put a burden on ag- agricultural haulers. Uh, and through the appropriations process, there's been uh, a ban on DOT from enforcing this mandate for several years now. So that goes through the appropriations process. And with the continuing resolution that Congress just passed, it stays in place. So what this bill, the Halls Act, does is really try to get at some of the issues that that hopefully you've had heard over the last few years around electronic logging devices and hours of service, um, trying to, to really get at this issue to put it to bed and not having to continue to do uh, address this issue through the appropriations process and continuing resolutions. So, Andrew, when talking about the Halls Act, did the COVID-19 pandemic have any influence on the Halls Act or trying to push legislation like this through? When we were looking back at earlier this year, uh, absolutely, you know, when you saw the CARES Act, which was the coronavirus response uh, that Congress passed and was signed into law, uh, we've looked at all these issues, right, because we had supply chain issues. And I think the Halls Act speaks to that, that that it recognizes not just the the previous concerns that we had around flexibilities in live animals, but trying to find efficiencies uh, in our food supply and our our distribution system uh, while also ensuring safety. And and that's key. We want to have safety of the animals and safety of, of other drivers on the road. You know, there are some flexibilities that are current right now because of COVID. Uh, the Department of Transportation has suspended some of the hours of service requirement for livestock haulers and, and, and those hauling feed to those animals. That continues through the end of this year uh, and could be extended depending on what we see through the fall. Um, so this issue has been uh, before Congress uh, and obviously before the agency at Department of Transportation. And, you know, if we were able to get something like the Halls Act enacted, you know, that would permanently address some of these challenges we're seeing. And Andrew, I know this is just an ongoing issue, but is there any specific timeline you're hoping to see this act passed? Do do the Senate and House have to vote on this? Does the president have to sign off on this? What's kind of the next steps for this act? Yeah, so it's been introduced in the Senate. We're currently trying to garner additional co-sponsors uh, to get additional support. Uh, it would have to pass the Senate, uh, then it would have to pass the House, and the president would have to sign it into law. Uh, now, we don't expect this bill to necessarily move on its own. Uh, it could be rolled into some type of larger package, particularly during the lame deck, uh, you know, the session that Congress will be in uh, after the election. It's kind of er- too early to tell, um, but I think this is a recognition by Senator Fisher that this issue still exists uh, and that there's hope that we might be able to address it in the lame duck. If not, you know, longer term, it, it takes a while uh, for Congress to, to potentially act on some issues. And that might be an understatement, but obviously it was designed that way by our founders. Um, you know, surface transportation bill um, is typically where we see a lot of this policy addressed. That comes around every five years or so. Congress was supposed to have passed the surface transportation bill this year. Um, they were not able to get to that. Those programs, those authorizations that fund uh, you know, a lot of the, the highway projects in, in states across this country um, expired September 30th. Uh, but with the continuing resolution that the president signed and Congress passed uh, the wee hours of, of September 30th into October 1, they actually included a one-year extension of surface transportation programs. So the next Congress, when we get started next year, has until 
the next September 30th to address surface transportation programs. This could be a place for this bill to hop a ride on a, le- a piece of legislation like that. We could also see a major infrastructure package if we had a Biden administration. Uh, it's been one of the talk uh, more recently. Or there, if the new Trump administration, if, if they retain office, want to do infrastructure the first term of next year, uh, that could be another opportunity to attach a bill like this. Well, Andrew, I just have one final question before we let you go. Where can folks get into contact with you or anyone else at American Farm Bureau so they can maybe show their support or get more information for for legislation like the Halls Act? Yeah, so if you go to our website, fb.org, so that is in farmbureau.org, fb.org, it has our contact information on there. Uh, You can sign up for our action alerts, our newsletters, uh, if you want to reach out directly to me, my email is andreww at fb.org. Uh, happy to respond. But another thing you could do, if this legislation uh, sounds like it would help your farming operation or just make sense to keep ag competitive, is to reach out to your senator uh, and your senators and ask them to co-sponsor the Halls Act uh, by Senator Fisher. Um, that's one of the most effective and direct ways they can influence the process and uh, you know, have their voice heard on something that impacts uh, agriculture. Absolutely. Well, again, Andrew Walmsley of American Farm Bureau Federation, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. In many applications on the farm, power is transferred from one member to another via a chain. This results in a phenomena called cordal action. Cordal action is the result of a chain transitioning from a flat state to being wrapped around a sprocket. It is a pulsing motion of the chain in the direction of flow, as well as a localized rising and lowering of the chain at the sprocket. An additional issue which involves caudal action is there will always be a gap between the transfer and the chain allowing debris to become snagged. Keeping the chain tight, clean, and properly lubricated will decrease caudal movement and lengthen its life and that of the sprockets it interfaces with. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles where steel and soil meet. Well, again, a big thank you there to Andrew joining us today to talk about the Halls Act. Sounds like it's definitely one that could impact especially our livestock producing friends. Absolutely, Delaney. And like you mentioned in the interview, I don't know really how this kind of slipped through the cracks since we've been talking about so much policy here lately. But I think that it kind of just got overshadowed by COVID-19 relief fund talk and, you know, talk about the election. But I'm so glad that we got to have Andrew on to talk about it. So am I. But I tell you what, we're always talking about great fantastic conversations, having fantastic guests on. You can check out any of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com or connect with us on social media. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Agnews Daily. Ash, and with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.